Welcome to the second series of podcasts focusing on complex innovative design trials from the Health Research Authority, the NIHR CRN Coordinating Centre, and in this series, the NIHR Office for Clinical Research Infrastructure. This time, we will be discussing some of the key learning points from the COVID-19 pandemic, and we will be building on the further questions around the management and delivery of complex, innovative design trials during the pandemic. My name is Alan Gaw, and it's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm joined today by Jan Yanaku, who is a consultant gastroenterologist and clinical director of the NIHR Patient Recruitment Centre in Newcastle. He has been a director of R&D and has also served as regional clinical lead for commercial research for the NIHR Local Clinical Research Network. His main interest is in improving access to clinical trials through community-based participation, consent for contact registries and a digital media platform. Professor Yanaku has also led one of the UK's first virtual intervention trials and is leading research into efficacy and patient experience of remote access research. Professor Yanaku, thank you very much for speaking with me today. You're welcome, Alan. I mentioned in my introduction your involvement in a novel, fully virtual clinical trial, and I would like to explore that further with you, if I may. So can I begin by asking you to tell us some of the background to this piece of work? Yes, of course. So um, we work in uh, IBS research and We've had a, a difficult time over the last few years in recruiting to clinical trials of irritable bowel syndrome. And that really shouldn't be the case because it's quite a common condition. But we find that when you look at common chronic conditions that are managed mainly in primary care where the patients don't have access to secondary care specialist clinics, recruitment to these conditions is often quite challenging. Uh, and we uh, were running a trial called Relieve IBSD, uh, which um, had a really quite straightforward and pragmatic inclusion and exclusion criteria. And yet after a year and a half, uh, we were only halfway to the recruitment target and we expect that we expected to have reached in a year. We had recruited 230 patients and we needed 430. We had at that point a large uh, consent for contact registry and we mailed out to 2,000 patients uh, and got several hundred uh, who passed an online eligibility screen and were keen to participate in the trial, only to find that less than a dozen were within reaching distance of one of the 28 sites. Now, 28 sites seem to me like quite a lot of sites to cover England, but it was only, a, it was only covering less than 5% of the UK population in terms of travel distance, and less than 5% of our eligible patients were able to participate. And that led me to consider that this is a real problem, this issue of geographical exclusion, and that we uh, could do well by virtualising the trial so that we could recruit from all parts of, of the UK. Uh, now, the, uh, we started doing that in advance of the, the COVID-19 pandemic, but certainly the, the pandemic sped things up and give us uh, an extra push to do that. Uh, and we managed to um, 
to convert the trial into a virtual trial, uh, which kicked off in September of this year. Can you tell me a little bit about how you actually delivered this study? Well, the um, uh, there's the the need to digitise the process to make sure that there is uh, electronic consent, electronic data capture, to have a delivery process that delivers product and placebo to patients' addresses, to have uh, the ability to have video virtual consultations with doctors and nurses that can deal with uh, adverse events and make sensible decisions at a distance. Um, but importantly, you need to have the reach to reach out to a wide community right across the country, <coughs> excuse me, right across the country. And one of these, uh, one of the processes that we had at our disposal was the Contact Me IBS registry, which currently has over 4,000 uh, IBS patients who have registered for consent for contact. So that was the... Uh, uh, the process for putting things together and we we kicked off 11 weeks ago with the virtual trial and have in 11 weeks enrolled 106 patients to the trial that's uh, uh, faster one and a half times faster from one site than all 28 sites recruiting together in a face-to-face -face approach and that just shows the the power of virtual trials, as well as the ability to uh, allow um, involvement without needing to come to hospital, without the hassle of taking half a day off for a half an hour appointment, without the need to find a parking space, and of course these days without the risk of exposing yourself to COVID-19. In the current pandemic, I mean, the advantages of being able to recruit and follow up trial participants in, in a virtual way are clear. But I wondered if you could also highlight for us some of the particular challenges that you faced with this approach. Yes, of course. So, uh, of course, the first challenge was to make sure that the digital processes were in place. Uh, uh, the um, use of electronic data capture is fairly standard uh, these days in commercial trials. Uh, but we had to develop uh, quite an advanced electronic consent process. We had to make sure that the product could be delivered uh, effectively and we had to make sure that adverse events could be managed uh, and that uh, information could be gathered from the GP. Uh, so that was getting all the digital, the, the, the nuts and bolts, I suppose, of the virtual trial. Um, the biggest challenge came after we started the trial and we realised just how much energy and effort goes into recruiting. So for the 106 patients we've recruited in 11 weeks, we've uh, needed 260 appointments for, for, to, for, for, for screening, the first step screening. That's uh, over 20 appointments per week. And then by week two, uh, uh, the patients are coming back for their second appointment. So at that point, you're up to 40 appointments a week. And for 40 appointments, you need to be making about 60 telephone calls because of the numbers of DNAs and missed calls and missed appointments. 
so p- possibly 60 to 70 cores. Uh, so the, the lean processing that has to go into your management systems uh, and, and building your capacity, both in terms of your clinical capacity and your admin capacity, is quite considerable. And that, that I think, is the biggest challenge. Could you see this sort of virtual design being adapted for other kinds of interventional studies? Yes, I I think that the trial that we're doing at the moment is a very easy treatment. It's very safe. It has very few side effects. Uh, it's not classed as a drug, in fact. But uh, and, and I guess many people will say that that makes it easy and you'll never do uh, virtual trials in more complex, more uh, dangerous treatments. But I think that's not the case. I think the the geographical exclusion that occurs from site-specific trials together with the increasing ability to reach out through social media and big data portals uh, will mean that there is an inevitable drive to virtualization of trials rather than site-based trials. Uh, and I would just point to Amazon as uh, the obvious example that... that uh, 15 years ago, you would never have imagined that all your shopping for Christmas and all your groceries would come to your door. Um, and I think that um, in 15 years or even before that, in five to 10 years, we'll be seeing half of the commercial research being done in a virtual or hybrid virtual manner. Building in your own experience of this virtual trial, what advice would you give to any other investigator contemplating such a virtual approach? I think the first thing is that you need to plan your reach. Um, so for the 106 patients we've recruited, we needed nearly a 1,000 patients to go uh, through the, the pre-screening portal. Um, so you need 10 times as many patients volunteering and you need uh, five to ten times more than those uh, in terms of patients you're going to contact. Uh, so um, you need to be able to connect with several thousand patients in order to recruit a hundred. So reach is important. Capacity, uh, as we've discussed, uh, and lean processing of that capacity, the physical capacity of getting your appointments right, and having enough clinical staff to manage those appointments is crucial. And the third bit of advice is um, linked to that. It's the amount of back office work that needs to go into this. Uh, when you recruit a patient from a clinic, you know that patient, they know you, you have their records, you know they're eligible. When you're doing this remotely, you have very little information usually. You have to get that information from the GP uh, and you have to uh, uh, be prepared to undertake numerous phone calls uh, and paper chases to make sure that everything goes smoothly. So the back office work needs, um, needs careful planning. You very much highlighted the benefits of such a virtual approach, particularly in order to avoid the kind of geographical exclusion with all its consequences uh, that that has for the delivery of relevant 
um, inclusive clinical research studies. Professor Yanaku, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with me today. That's my pleasure. Thank you for listening. We would very much welcome your feedback on these podcasts, and I hope you will join us again next time.